part one of the discovery of the future this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by david wales the discovery of the future by h g wells part one it will lead into my subject most conveniently to contrast and separate two divergent types of mind types which are to be distinguished chiefly by their attitude towards time and more particularly by the relative importance they attach and the relative amount of thought they give to the future the first of these two types of mind and it is i think the predominant type the type of the majority of living people is that which seems scarcely to think of the future at all which regards it as a sort of blank non-existence upon which the advancing present will presently write events the second type which is i think a more modern and much less abundant type of mind thinks constantly and by preference of things to come and of present things mainly in relation to the results that must arise from them the former type of mind when one gets it in its purity is retrospective in habit and it interprets the things of the present and gives value to this and denies it to that entirely with relation to the past the latter type of mind is constructive in habit it interprets the things of the present and gives value to this or that entirely in relation to things designed or foreseen while from that former point of view our life is simply to reap the consequences of the past from this our life is to prepare the future the former type one might speak of as the legal or submissive type of mind because the business the practice and training of a lawyer dispose him toward it he of all men must constantly refer to the law made the right established the precedent set and consistently ignore or condemn the thing that is only seeking to establish itself the latter type of mind i might for contrast call the legislative creative organizing or masterful type because it is perpetually attacking and altering the established order of things perpetually falling away from respect for what the past has given us it sees the world as one great workshop and the present is no more than material for the future for the thing that is yet destined to be it is in the active mood of thought while the former is in the passive it is the mind of youth it is the mind more manifest among the western nations while the former is the mind of age the mind of the oriental things have been says the legal mind and so we are here the creative mind says we are here because things have yet to be now i do not wish to suggest that the great mass of people belong to either of these two types indeed i speak of them as two distinct and distinguishable types mainly for convenience and in order to accentuate their distinction there are probably very few people who brood constantly upon the past without any thought of the future at all and there are probably scarcely any who live and think consistently in relation to the future the great mass of people occupy an intermediate position in between these extremes they pass daily and hourly from the passive mood to the active 
they see this thing in relation to its associations and that thing in relation to its consequences and they do not even suspect that they are using two distinct methods in their minds but for all that they are distinct methods the method of reference to the past and the method of reference to the future and their mingling in many of our minds no more abolishes their difference than the existence of piebald horses proves that white is black i believe that it is not sufficiently recognized just how different in their consequences these two methods are and just where their difference and where the failure to appreciate their difference takes one this present time is a period of quite extraordinary uncertainty and indecision upon endless questions moral questions aesthetic questions religious and political questions upon which we should all of us be happier to feel assured and settled and a very large amount of this floating uncertainty about these important matters is due to the fact that with most of us these two insufficiently distinguished ways of looking at things are not only present together but in actual conflict in our minds in unsuspected conflict we pass from one to the other heedlessly without any clear recognition of the fundamental difference in conclusions that exist between the two and we do this with disastrous results to our confidence and to our consistency in dealing with all sorts of things but before pointing out how divergent these two types or habits of mind really are it is necessary to meet a possible objection to what has been said i may put that objection in this form is not this distinction between a type of mind that thinks of the past and a type of mind that thinks of the future a sort of hair-splitting almost like distinguishing between people who have left hands and people who have right everybody believes that the present is entirely determined by the past you say but then everybody believes also that the present determines the future are we simply separating and contrasting two sides of everybody's opinion to which one replies that we are not discussing what we know and believe about the relations of past present and future or of the relation of cause and effect to each other in time we all know the present depends for its causes on the past and the future depends for its causes upon the present but this discussion concerns the way in which we approach things upon this common ground of knowledge and belief we may all know there is an east and a west but if some of us always approach and look at things from the west if some of us always approach and look at things from the east and if others again wander about with a pretty disregard of direction looking at things as chance determines some of us will get to a westward conclusion of this journey and some of us will get to an eastward conclusion and some of us will get to no definite conclusion at all about all sorts of important matters and yet those who are travelling east and those who are travelling west and those who are wandering haphazard may be all upon the same ground of belief and statement and amid the same assembly of proven facts precisely the same thing divergence of results will happen if you always approach things from the point of view of their causes or if you approach them always with a view to their probable effects and in several very important groups of human affairs it is possible to show quite clearly just how widely apart the two methods pursued each in its purity 
take those who follow them i suppose that three hundred years ago all people who thought at all about moral questions about questions of right and wrong deduced their rules of conduct absolutely and unreservedly from the past from some dogmatic injunction some finally settled decree the great mass of people do so to-day it is written they say thou shalt not steal for example that is the sole complete sufficient reason why you should not steal and even to-day there is a strong aversion to admit that there is any relation between the actual consequences of acts and the imperatives of right and wrong our lives are to reap the fruits of determinate things and it is still a fundamental presumption of the established morality that one must do right though the heavens fall but there are people coming into this world who would refuse to call it right if it brought the heavens about our heads however authoritative its sources and sanctions and this new disposition is i believe a growing one i suppose in all ages people in a timid hesitating guilty way have tempered the austerity of a dogmatic moral code by small infractions to secure obviously kind ends but it was i am told the jesuits who first deliberately sought to qualify the moral interpretation of acts by a consideration of their results to-day there are few people who have not more or less clearly discovered the future as a more or less important factor in moral considerations to-day there is a certain small proportion of people who frankly regard morality as a means to an end as an overriding of immediate and personal considerations out of regard to something to be attained in the future and who break away altogether from the idea of a code dogmatically established for ever most of us are not so definite as that but most of us are deeply tinged with the spirit of compromise between the past and the future we profess an unbounded allegiance to the prescriptions of the past and we practice a general observance of its injunctions but we qualify to a vague variable extent with considerations of expediency we hold for example that we must respect our promises but suppose we find unexpectedly that for one of us to keep a promise which has been sealed and sworn in the most sacred fashion must lead to the great suffering of some other human being must lead in fact to practical evil would a man do right or wrong if he broke such a promise the practical decision most modern people would make would be to break the promise most would say that they did evil to avoid a greater evil but suppose it was not such very great suffering we were going to inflict but only some suffering and suppose it was a rather important promise with most of us it would then come to be a matter of weighing the promise the thing of the past against this unexpected bad consequence the thing of the future and the smaller the overplus of evil consequences the more most of us would vacillate but neither of the two types of mind we are contrasting would vacillate at all the legal type of mind would obey the past unhesitatingly the creative would unhesitatingly sacrifice it to the future the legal mind would say they who break the law at any point break it altogether while the creative mind would say let the dead past bury its dead 
it is convenient to take my illustration from the sphere of promises but it is in the realm of sexual morality that the two methods are most acutely in conflict and i would like to suggest that until you have definitely determined either to obey the real or imaginary imperatives of the past or to set yourself toward the demands of some ideal of the future until you have made up your mind to adhere to one or other of these two types of mental action in these matters you are not even within hope of a sustained consistency in the thought that underlies your acts that in every issue of principle that comes upon you you will be entirely at the mercy of the intellectual mood that happens to be ascendant at that particular moment in your mind in the sphere of public affairs also these two ways of looking at things work out into equally divergent and incompatible consequences the legal mind insists upon treaties constitutions legitimacies and charters the legislative incessantly assails these whenever some period of stress sets in some great conflict between institutions and the forces of things there comes a sorting out of these two types of mind the legal mind becomes glorified and transfigured in the form of hopeless loyalty the creative mind inspires revolutions and reconstructions and particularly is this difference of attitude accentuated in the disputes that arise out of wars in most modern wars there is no doubt quite traceable on one side or the other a distinct creative idea a distinct regard for some future consequence but the main dispute even in most modern wars and the sole dispute in most medieval wars will be found to be a reference not to the future but to the past to turn upon a question of fact and right the wars of plantagenet and lancastrian england with france for example were based entirely upon a dummy claim supported by obscure legal arguments upon the crown of france and the arguments that centred about the late war in south africa ignored any ideal of a great united south african state almost entirely and quibbled this way and that about who began the fighting and what was or was not written in some obscure revision of a treaty a score of years ago yet beneath the legal issues the broad creative idea has been apparent in the public mind during this war it will be found more or less definitely formulated beneath almost all the great wars of the past century and a comparison of the wars of the nineteenth century with the wars of the middle ages will show i think that in this field also there has been a discovery of the future an increasing disposition to shift the reference and values from things accomplished to things to come yet though foresight creeps into our politics and a reference to consequence into our morality it is still the past that dominates our lives but why why are we so bound to it it is into the future we go to-morrow is the eventful thing for us there lies all that remains to be felt by us and our children and all those that are dear to us yet we marshal and order men into classes entirely with regard to the past we draw shame and honour out of the past against the rights of property the vested interests the agreements and establishments of the past the future has no rights literature is for the most part history or history at one remove 
and what is culture but a mould of interpretation into which new things are thrust a collection of standards a sort of bed of king og to which all new expressions must be lopped or stretched our conveniences like our thoughts are all retrospective we travel on roads so narrow that they suffocate our traffic we live in uncomfortable inconvenient life-wasting houses out of a love of familiar shapes and familiar customs and a dread of strangeness all our public affairs are cramped by local boundaries impossibly restricted and small our clothing our habits of speech our spelling our weights and measures our coinage our religious and political theories all witness to the binding power of the past upon our minds yet we do not serve the past as the chinese have done there are degrees we do not worship our ancestors or prescribe a rigid local costume we dare to enlarge our stock of knowledge and we qualify the classics with occasional adventures into original thought compared with the chinese we are distinctly aware of the future but compared with what we might be the past is all our world the reason why the retrospective habit the legal habit is so dominant and always has been so predominant is of course a perfectly obvious one we follow a fundamental human principle and take what we can get all people believe the past is certain defined and knowable and only a few people believe that it is possible to know anything about the future man has acquired the habit of going to the past because it was the line of least resistance for his mind while a certain variable portion of the past is serviceable matter for knowledge in the case of every one the future is to a mind without an imagination trained in scientific habits of thought non-existent all our minds are made of memories in our memories each of us has something that without any special training whatever will go back into the past and grip firmly and convincingly all sorts of workable facts sometimes more convincingly than firmly but the imagination unless it is strengthened by a very sound training in the laws of causation wanders like a lost child in the blankness of things to come and returns empty many people believe therefore that there can be no sort of certainty about the future you can know no more about the future i was recently assured by a friend than you can know which way a kitten will jump next and to all who hold that view who regard the future as a perpetual source of convulsive surprises as an impenetrable incurable perpetual blankness it is right and reasonable to derive such values as it is necessary to attach to things from the events that have certainly happened with regard to them it is our ignorance of the future and our persuasion that that ignorance is absolutely incurable that alone gives the past its enormous predominance in our thoughts but through the ages the long unbroken succession of fortune-tellers and they flourish still witnesses to the perpetually smouldering feeling that after all there may be a better sort of knowledge a more serviceable sort of knowledge than that we now possess on the whole there is something sympathetic for the dupe of the fortune-teller in the spirit of modern science 
it is one of the persuasions that come into one's mind as one assimilates the broad conception of science that the adequacy of causation is universal that in absolute fact if not in that little bubble of relative fact which constitutes the individual life in absolute fact the future is just as fixed and determinate just as settled and inevitable just as possible a matter of knowledge as the past our personal memory gives us an impression of the superior reality and trustworthiness of things in the past as of things that have finally committed themselves and said their say but the more clearly we master the leading conceptions of science the better we understand that this impression is one of the results of the peculiar conditions of our lives and not an absolute truth the man of science comes to believe at last that the events of the year a d four thousand are as fixed settled and unchangeable as the events of the year sixteen hundred only about the latter he has some material for belief and about the former practically none and the question arises how far this absolute ignorance of the future is a fixed and necessary condition of human life and how far some application of intellectual methods may not attenuate even if it does not absolutely set aside the veil between ourselves and things to come and i am venturing to suggest to you that along certain lines and with certain qualifications and limitations a working knowledge of things in the future is a possible and practicable thing and in order to support this suggestion i would call your attention to certain facts about our knowledge of the past and more particularly i would insist upon this that about the past our range of absolute certainty is very limited indeed about the past i would suggest we are inclined to overestimate our certainty just as i think we are inclined to underestimate the certainties of the future and such a knowledge of the past as we have is not all of the same sort or derived from the same sources End of part one